0: Well, good morning. I am so glad to be with you this morning. If you have your Bible either in electronic form or in printed copy, if you would take out God's Word and open to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. This passage has one of the most consistent imagery that we find throughout the pages of Scripture. That of a shepherd and his sheep. A shepherd and his sheep. If you stop and think about the entirety of Scripture, think about how many times shepherds and sheep are mentioned, right? The patriarchs, their main job, their nine to five, so to speak, was that of shepherd. Before he was king, David was a shepherd, right? When we think about even the announcement of the birth of Jesus Christ, That announcement went first to shepherds. Shepherds are such an amazing, enduring image. But for us, in the 21st century, we might think of sheep as woolly, cute, maybe kind of a gentle little animal, if uh, you know appropriately. They're also very tasty. Um, These are animals that we just kind of don't really deal with. It wasn't until I uh, lived in England where just north of where I studied there was a pasture that had all kinds of sheep, and it was really cool, short bike ride up, and you could watch this shepherd get out with his dogs and start working the sheep, and he would move them from one place to another place, and as he did that, you could see the movement of the sheep. It was mesmerizing. Thanks to the modern miracle of drone cameras, you can go to YouTube now and watch a guy throw a drone up in the air and then watch from above as they herd these sheeps from one place to another. It's absolutely amazing do it later, not now, right? But watch these things. You're stressed. Just watch someone herd some sheep. It's, it's an amazing kind of thing. So as you finish up your midterms or whatever, you just need to chill out, go to YouTube, watch herding sheep. It's phenomenal. It's an amazing kind of thing. Jesus, in John chapter 10, is in this conflict with the religious leaders. You see, he's just healed someone who was born blind. But he did so on the Sabbath. Because he healed someone on the Sabbath, the religious leaders were not just a little, but a lot upset. They were extremely frustrated that Jesus would have the audacity to choose to heal someone on a day when all work was forbidden. You can read about that in John chapter 9, but it sets the tone and the context immediately for what we're going to read in the text of Scripture today. So if you have your Bible open to John chapter 10, we're going to read just the first few verses and then we'll actually look all the way through verse 21, but I want to see how this text lays out. So together, if we could stand in honor of the Word of God, and I want us to read the first six verses here. This is God's word. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he had brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Gracious God and Father, we ask that you would speak to us, to our hearts this morning, as we study your word together. God would you allow your spirit to work in our minds and our hearts and our lives to stir our affections to dive deeper into our walk with our savior. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Now it's interesting as Jesus is beginning to talk to wrestle with these individuals, he is going to immediately start talking and using an illustration of this shepherding context. For example, we might place in our mind that it's possible that as Jesus is giving this talk, that there might actually be a sheep pen very close by. He's using it as an illustration to help them understand exactly who he is. Now, if you notice in the portion of scripture that we read, Jesus does not refer to himself at all. He just talks about some general principles about shepherding. Now, we're going to see that because the disciples were confused and did not understand, Jesus actually exegetes this passage for us in the remainder of the text, which we'll look at in just a minute. But for just right now, look at what he says for us to understand about shepherding and how important this is. First, he points out that there is a problem with bad people. There's a problem with bad people who have bad motives. He says, look, there. anyone who climbs into this sheepfold by a different way is a thief and a robber. In the Middle East, in a lot of these uh, towns and cities in Israel during this time period, what would happen is they would have a communal sheep pen. A communal sheep pen. And basically, it was a large corral of uh, probably made out of stone, sometimes out of wood, but then it would have one entry point. And what would happen is at the end of the day, as the sun is setting, a shepherd would come with all of his sheep. He might have 50, he might have a hundred, he might have more, and he brings them into this corral. At the same time, his friend would also be coming in from the fields where his sheep had been grazing, and they would bring them all in, and his sheep would also go into that same pen. There would be three, four, five, six, or more shepherds with their sheep all in the same pen. Now, how would they differentiate between the two? How would you know whose sheep? Was whose? I mean, after all, they're just white fluffy things, right? I, I, you know, you made them in Sunday school with little pieces of cotton swab and other things, right? How would you know exactly who was who? Well, first of all, Jesus says that those who enter by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. That gives legitimacy to that shepherd. That's who the gatekeeper opens to. But for the identity of the sheep and knowing who's there look at what he says there in verse 3. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. The picture is that the shepherd knows his sheep so well that not only can he pick them out visually, but he knows and has named each of them. There's a level of intimacy that is articulated here that is something that I don't want us to miss, and we'll see it as the text unfolds even further. If you were a shepherd, let's say you even had a a modest herd, you only had like 20 sheep. If you spent eight to 10 hours with those sheep every day, you would know those sheep. You would know how those sheep acted. You would know their, their little foibles. You would know their personalities. You would know the sheep. But also notice that he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. One of the things that's so fascinating in the text of Scripture, we frequently are referred to as, as God's people as sheep. That is not a positive thing. Uh, sheep are dumb, uh, usually. They're, they're very much herd animals. Whatever one does, they kind of all do. Uh, that's why that term sheeple is probably such a, a good descriptor of kind of how people operate. We kind of group think and we kind of do things like that. So these sheep coming out, they're, they're following. You would think that everyone would just follow. Every herd that was in that one common communal uh, corral would all come out at the same time. But what's interesting here and we, that we've known as we study sheep is that sheep can actually hear the tone, the timbre of the voice of the shepherd. The sheep have a form of imprinting on that particular shepherd. So a shepherd could stand up and say, hey, my sheep come to me. And his sheep would move in that corral and come to him. Now what's interesting here, for the people of the day, Jesus is highlighting for them something that they would have known or should have understood, that it's not just Jesus that the shepherd would stand up and go, hey, all sheep this way, let's go. This level of intimacy is very important because what is being pointed out is that the shepherd has a specific flock and that he knows that flock. Notice in verse 5, a stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him. Sheep have an intrinsic stranger danger, so to speak. So if they hear some other shepherd trying to, to call them over, they're going to go the opposite direction. They don't want anything to do with that person. Instead, they want their shepherd, and that's all. Now, Jesus, as he's speaking all of these things to the people, you'd think most of the people kind of familiar with this. Let's kind of roll with this concept. I could see, you know, 21st century not very many of us, I think, have probably dealt with sheep unless they were on our plate. Um, it's, it's one of those things that we would expect confusion. But even in this day and time, with this a common visual component, notice in verse 6, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand. This spring in chapel, we've been going through a series on parables. The Gospel of John notoriously has zero parables, nothing that uses that word or phrase about parables. Instead, here in this text, some would have argued that this is exactly what Jesus is doing. He just uses a different term. It's a paroimia. It's it's a figure of speech. It equates to the Jewish concept of a mashal. It is an illustrative teaching that's given on the spot, and it's pointing to ideas and concepts that everybody should have had in their minds. And by pointing that out, it was a common thing, and people should have been able to connect to it. But as Jesus is teaching, the people are going, time out. Jesus, what are you saying? And it's from this point that Jesus exegetes his mashal; He exegetes his word picture. This is where the rest of this text plays out, and I want you to follow along as we begin to see how Jesus does this. The theme of the entire passage is that Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. But notice how he begins to tease this out. So everyone says, Jesus, I'm confused. Why are we getting a lesson on sheep herding? Why are we getting a lesson uh, in this particular way? Well, Jesus, the good shepherd, is saying, first of all, that he is the only way. So as he takes his teaching, he tries to help them understand that he is the only way. Notice in verse 7, Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, this is a, a literary mark in the gospel of John that we need to understand that every time he says this, it's like focus in. This is a big moment. You should be paying attention to what's going on right here. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door of the sheep. Now with this, we fall into a line of I am statements made by Jesus. Every time Jesus uses this ego I'm me phrase, I am. He is making a bold allusion to the fact that he is God. He is claiming that he is none other than God. It is pulling on the literature and language of the Old Testament where Moses has that direct encounter with God in the burning bush where he is told God's name is I am. So when Jesus just says, I am the good shepherd, it's not a simple kind of, hey, I am this and I'm that. It's not a simple mark. He is saying this in a way that you should feel reverberations work through the crowd that as he says, I am, people are already taking a step back. And then he adds, I am the good shepherd. Now before, he had already said in the Gospel of John, if you follow through, he's already said, I am the bread of life in 6.35. He's already said, I am the light of the world in 8.12. We see here in our text, I am the door of the sheep. We also will see, I am the good shepherd, twice in our text that we are here. You can read on in the Gospel of John, I am the resurrection and the life, John eleven. 25, that Jesus says that he is the way, the truth, and the life in John 14, 6, and that he is the true vine in John 15, 15. I am the door of the sheep. What is the illustration that he's helping us understand? He's helping us understand that he is the only way. There is no other way to the Father except through Jesus. In his later I am statement, right? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus, in stating this here, is saying the exact same thing. Look at verse 8. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. He's talking to the religious leaders. He's talking to the people and saying, those religious leaders that are trying to saddle you with the law, they're thieves. They're robbers. They're taking your joy. They're distracting you from God. They're taking away from you the very truth of who God is. They're taking this away. Instead, I am the gate. I am the door of the sheep. Verse nine, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. It's not that Jesus says that he is the way, the way in, and the only way in. He is not only the way, the truth, and the life, but he is the way by which we have life and sustenance. He is the one who leads us to a good and full life. And one of the things that we could begin to look at in the 21st century particularly is how many promises our culture makes about life. And what's going to give you pleasure in life? What's going to give you meaning and fulfillment? We could go the Disney route of follow your own heart. Always leads to disaster, but okay. We could make it your best life now and decide that everything that I want to do, I'm just going to do. We could uh, we could say, hey, you know, the most important thing is the accumulation of stuff or money or followers on social media or any of these other kinds of things that our culture wants to determine for us that will give us purpose or meaning. Maybe it's your sexuality or your sexual preferences. The culture says that's where your truth lies. Follow your truth. Friends, Jesus says he is the door. He is the gate. Your truth only goes so far. Your money runs out. Your happiness will find an end because this world's promises are worthless. But Jesus says they're even more pernicious than that. Look at how he says this. Verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. The thief isn't doing this passively. We're not just sitting around and it kind of happens to us. The thief, the devil, the evil one is after people to kill and destroy their lives. This is why the message of the gospel is so important and why it's so important for us to share the message of the gospel to any and all who would hear. Why? Because Jesus is the solution they are looking for. Jesus is the door. Jesus is the one who will lead us to life, hope, happiness. Now, friends, we're in this room. We're, we're Spurgeon College students. We're, we're those who are students at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. We've got it all together. We know that's not true. Some of you have bought into a lie, and this is where we need to look at this and and begin to apply to our lives. How many of us have bought certain these lies that I just need my college degree so I can get a specific job, and then I'm just going to have everything that I need, and I don't have to worry about that anymore? How many of us, when we are alone and by ourselves, open up our tablet or a laptop? and we search out satisfaction from something on the web that is absolutely inappropriate. The thief comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. But do you see the contrast that Jesus offers in the latter part of verse 10? I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Because Jesus is the way, because Jesus is the gate, we don't have to work for our salvation, praise God. Our salvation has been provided for us by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we can walk in confidence in Jesus Christ, our good shepherd. But brothers and sisters, don't let, please don't let the allures of this world become a weight that is just simply the thief seeking to kill and destroy you, your ministry, your marriage, your family, your friends. Seriously consider, have you started to pursue other areas in your life to seek happiness, fulfillment, something that only Jesus can provide? But Jesus doesn't stop here. Verse 11, he gives us this next point in his exposition of his story. Jesus, the good shepherd, sacrificed everything for you. Look at verse 11 there. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. No one in that audience knew or understood what Jesus was going to do. No one at that time understood. We know. We know as we even today are marching ever closer to that annual point where we mark and remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ at Easter, this high point of the Christian calendar. It's all about what Jesus did on the cross. And he says, I am the good shepherd. And he lays down his life For his sheep. Now he contrasts this in verse 12. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. Basically, these false teachers, these false leaders, they have no skin in the game. They don't care. At the end of the day, they're in it for themselves. Friends, can I caution you? With all of the different voices that are out there in the world, whether it's on social media or on your YouTube channel or other places, there are voices that are speaking to distract you away from the Savior. To give you solutions that feed into your heart, which the scriptures tell us is desperately wicked, and to press us in directions that we never intended to go and we listen to those voices, and we begin to self-justify. Those people have no skin in the game. They did not die for you. They did not give everything for you. And the moment any level of heat rises up, they're gone. That's why we shouldn't even... faithful pastors that God gives us who are such a gift to us. They are not the shepherd. They are under shepherds. And we should not glorify them in any way, shape, or form to replace Jesus. Only Jesus is the good shepherd. We need to guard our hearts that we are so careful about this now, notice verse 15, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. This is such an amazing picture for us that Jesus is, is helping us understand that he has given sacrificially. He has given everything for us. And here is he is explaining to this that these hired hands have nothing. He says, I am the good shepherd. The third thing that he notes here is that the good shepherd reigns. The good shepherd reigns. Look at verse 14, the third I am statement here. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as my father knows me and I know the father. Friends, this is an incredibly important picture. Remember me talking earlier about how intimate it was that the, the shepherds knew their sheep. He knew their names. Friends, not only does the Father know you, Jesus knows you. Why does that matter? It matters because no matter what you're going through, Jesus is there with you. His Spirit is there with us. There's nothing that comes into our life that he's unaware of. And life is not always easy, and there are going to be hard days ahead. And some of you are going through those right now. If you only knew what I was struggling with. If you only knew what was going on. Friends, the truth of the word of God is that Jesus is our shepherd, and he leads and guides us, and he Knows us deeply. There's not another religion on this planet that promises a God that knows and loves you. Not not a collective you. He knows you. And in fact, when he redeemed you, he wrote your name in the Lamb's book of life. He knows you. He is the good shepherd. He knows us. Now notice what happens with that. Verse 16, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. That knowledge then creates unity. Now I'd love to tell you, that I didn't sit around in a dorm room in college debating whether or not this verse referenced aliens or something, right? It's not. What Jesus is trying to indicate is that the purpose of God is global and that he is the good shepherd for all of humanity. His salvation is for everyone. For the most broken person that is walking down the street in downtown Kansas City today to the most affluent person who might be out playing golf on the national between breaks in the rain. It matters not. Jesus is the shepherd. He is the one who provides for their salvation. And he alone. So when we start thinking about this, this then understands, helps us understand the concept of unity. This is unity in a Revelation 7 way, where John, same author as this book, sees before the throne of Jesus Christ, before the throne of God, he sees every tribe, every tongue, every nation, worshiping and glorifying God. This is a unifying vision saying that as God redeems humanity, he is making us into his own people. And it matters not the background we came from. It matters not the color of our skin. It matters not where we've been because our redemption is found in Christ alone. The only thing that matters is Jesus Christ. Paul, when he's writing to the church in Colossae, in Colossians chapter 1, says such an amazing thing related to this. Verse 18 of chapter 1. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminence. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all of creation under heaven. Friends, Jesus is the good shepherd. And notice that even as he does this, he does all of this in obedience to the plan and the will of the Father. In verse 18, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it back up. This charge I've received from my Father. Now you think, okay, Jesus just blew everyone away. He's, he said, I am, and the thundering of God, is God's voice is just reverberating through the crowd. Again, this is in the context of of healing a man born blind. Everyone understands. Everyone gets it right. Verse 19. There was again division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Not everyone is going to understand. Some of you in fusion, as you go out this summer, you're going to share the gospel with people and they're not going to understand. They're just, they're just not. And you continue to move forward and you share the gospel. Many of us are going to enter into ministries even this coming Sunday. And we're going to share the hope in the word of Jesus Christ. And we're going to share that Jesus is our one and only Savior. And people are going to turn their hearts and they're going to walk out the door hardened they're not going to understand. John's point in all of this is that whether people get it or not is irrelevant. Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus is who he says he is. And Jesus is the only way. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this incredible word picture that Jesus uses to try to help us understand our identity, to help us understand that we are sheep, to help us understand that we are in need of exactly what Jesus offers. God, in, my room, in this room today, I know that there are brothers and sisters of mine who are struggling with some things that are pretty significant. Consequently, Lord, they may be tempted to take their eyes off of you. God, I pray that you would help them turn their hearts and affections toward you. That if any in here have been confused, led astray by those thieves who have come to steal and destroy their joy. God, that you would help them connect with a professor, with me, with others, to help them find freedom that's found in Jesus Christ alone. Dear Lord, we, we know there may even be someone here in this room or online that does not know you as Savior. God, I pray that the power of your Spirit that you would convict them, that you would draw them, they would hear your voice. We pray this in Jesus' almighty name. Amen.